Good evening. Welcome this evening. Boy, it's great to see you. I was walking by the, the four and five-year-old room, and it, boy, it smelled sweet back there. There's lots of, there's coconut cream pie, and there's pumpkin pie, and there's Dutch apple pie. Woo, it's good. So we're going to have a great time this evening for fellowship, and I'm going to kind of rush through this section, but it's, I'm not going to leave anything out. There's some really challenging uh, a uh, couple of verses here, I don't know if you read ahead, but at the end of chapter 4, there's some really interesting things that sometimes when your kids are young, we were t- Frank and I were talking about this before service, you, you say, tell your kids to read the Bible, and there are some chapters you go, oh, can we just jump over that one for the kids? But I, I, This is going to be total rate, G-rated Bible study, don't worry about it, this, this is all good, but we'll get there in a minute. We're in this area, chapter 2 and 3 of Exodus is really all about God rescuing these people that are slaves, his chosen people, the children of Israel. For 400 years, they've been in Egypt, and for the past 300 years or so, they've been slaves, and they're calling out for a deliverer, and God has heard their voice, and he's preparing Moses. So these two chapters we've looked at here in Exodus are all about that, and tonight in chapter 4, Moses is going to go or start his journey to Egypt with his brother Aaron. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's ask God's blessing before we study his word. Father, we have our Bibles open, and we're so grateful that we have the word. I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, as we read the word in this topic, these areas of scripture, Lord, that sometimes are challenging. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through the word, and we as your people would receive it gladly. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now I want to take us back to the beginning of chapter 4 and just really rip through the stuff we did last week, just to give you a, it all ties together, really important to understand chapter 4. And uh, in the beginning of chapter 4, the message here is Moses is unwilling, Moses is unwilling really, he's reticent. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to be obedient. He is fearful. I mean, when you think of Moses, how many of you think of Charlton Heston? (laughs) Big voice, you know, uh, commanding presence. Moses is, he's a chicken. I mean, that's the way God is, is, is showing. He's writing this. Moses is the writer. He's afraid. He does not want to go. And he's given these excuses as we went through beginning in chapter Four, uh, in these verses, verse 1, Moses gives three excuses. Number one, they won't believe me. That was what he told God. God says, I want you to go and deliver my people out of Egypt. And so immediately he's fearful and he goes, but what if they don't believe me? That was his excuse. Notice verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord, he hasn't appeared to you. What are you, crazy? You haven't talked to the Lord. What if they say that to me, God? That was his He's not trusting in God. That's the point. He's not trusting God. He's questioning God. And then God is going to be, he's so gracious with Moses, just like he is with you and I. And so God says, let me explain something, Moses. I'm going to show you these signs. I'm going to give you the inside scoop. I'm going to show you what exactly you're going to do when you get to Pharaoh and, and, uh, and you stand up against all his power and authority. I'm going to grant you these three signs. First, to assure you that I am with you. And then secondly, to prove to Pharaoh that I am God. Now, remember, you've got to keep this in mind. When we're talking about Egypt, 
Egypt is a land, even today when you go to Egypt, what do you see? What do you think of Egypt when you, what was that built for? Some of them are tombs, but many of them are worship houses. Egypt was like India. They worshiped everything. There were gods and goddesses and and deities and stars, and they worshiped everything, idols. They were a, a nation of tremendous idol worship. And so, God has called Moses to go in there. He's made the first excuse, they won't believe me. And God's going to say, well, let me show you these signs. These signs are going to convince you that I love you and I'm with you. And they're also going to convince Pharaoh to let you go. And the first one is in verse 2. The Lord said, what's in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. Wow. That's quite a, quite a miracle. It scared Moses to death. He, it freaked him out, and then God says, I want you to pick it up. I mean, so Moses is learning. He's got to trust God. He's got to trust him. And so he reaches down, and as soon as he touches the snake, what happened? Turned back into a staff, a rod. And that rod of Moses, that, that's a very important issue. It, it, it's what kind of represents his authority. It's his badge of authority. And you'll see Moses with that rod, but God gives him this miracle at first just to tell him or convince him, verse 5, God explains it all, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. So he says, God, what if they don't believe me? He says, I'm going to give you this sign. And so Moses starts to, okay, okay, I I, kind of get it. The second sign God gives to Moses was terrifying. It must have freaked him out totally. It was leprosy. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to him, now put your hand in your bosom. And Moses put his hand in his bosom like in his sweater, took it out, and his hand was leprous, white as snow. And then the Lord said, put it back in there again, put it back in. This isn't sleight of hand, by the way. God was, I mean, can you imagine God doing that to you, and you look at your hand, and it's completely cancerous. I mean, it was a death sentence to see that. So Moses, I believe, was terrified, he's mortified, because his hand is covered with leprosy. And again, God tells Moses, this is a sign. It's a sign to you and it's a sign to Pharaoh. Verse 8, then it will be if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign that they'll believe you for the second one. The third sign was water turned into blood. All of these things are going to take place when Moses gets to Egypt. These things were given to him at this point in time in his his life to encourage him. He was a chicken. He was afraid. He didn't want to go. He's making excuses. The second excuse that he makes, first one was, they won't believe me. The second one is, I don't even speak that well. Then Moses, verse 10, said to the Lord, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. That's why a lot of people believe he was a stutterer. But that doesn't seem to be true because Stephen in Acts chapter, what is that, Acts chapter 6, 5 or 6, and he speaks out and he says that Moses was eloquent of speech, and we know that Moses was raised in the greatest schools in Egypt. So that, that again, he's giving this excuse. The third excuse is in verse 13. He says, listen, I don't even want to do this. Send somebody else. Notice verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you might send. Send somebody. Again, Moses lacks courage. Moses is afraid. He's afraid of Pharaoh. Remember, he ran as a fugitive. Pharaoh, the most powerful man in that region, was going to kill him. 
the family was after Moses. The people around the guys, the Egyptian that died, were out to get Moses. And he knew that. He was fearing all those people. He was looking at people instead of God. He wasn't trusting God. And he just seems to be blowing it as you look at his life. He just wasn't really a man of faith. He's not trusting the Lord. He says, send, send somebody else. Now, you remember what happened. After that third time that Moses rejected God's counsel and wasn't faithful to that, God, I called it flared up. The bush, remember Moses is talking to a bush. There's an image in that bush. He's talking to God in the form of Jesus Christ. This is a Christophany. Jesus is talking to him, and he tells him that he wants him to do these things, and Moses keeps making these things up, and finally God gets angry. It's right there in verse 14. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. That's how we say the bush possibly flared up. We don't really know whether it literally flared up or not. We, all we know is that God is angry because Moses is not uh, uh, letting God speak. He's not trusting in the Lord. He's not being obedient. He's being obstinate to God. And so, again, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like. I mean, his hand was leprous a moment ago. He saw the snake or the rod turn into a snake back to a rod. And now God's angry at him. So I, I believe he's quaking now, uh, quaking in his boots in a sense. God shoots down all of his excuses. They won't believe me. I don't speak well and send somebody else. Because Moses' fear and unwillingness to obey God, God judges him. Now, here's the judgment against him. It's in 14. We ended here last week. Aaron becomes his spokesman. God wanted his prophet Moses to speak to the people. But Moses kept making excuse after excuse after excuse. The anger, the wrath of God, the bush flames up and God says, okay, all right. This is really interesting. I find it fascinating. Verse 14, and he said... Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's going to be coming out to meet you. Now, he wasn't at that present time coming out to meet him, but he's going to come by the end of this chapter. So God is prophesying, telling Moses, in the future, you're going to meet him. Before you get to Egypt, you're going to meet your brother. When he sees you, he's going to be glad in his heart. Now, you shall speak to him. And you're the one that's going to speak and put words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be the mouth, a mouth for you. And notice this last comment. This is telling. And you shall be to him as God. Now, God chooses a prophet who speaks his word. A prophet bridges the gap between a holy God in heaven and man on earth. That's the job of the prophet, to speak the words of God, to speak for the Lord. And normally, that's what would happen. God would speak to the prophet, the prophet would speak to the people. But because Moses is disobedient, he's making excuses because he's not trusting in the Lord, God says that you shall be to your brother as a God. In other words, you've been complaining and griping and moaning, you're going to get a little bit of your own because now you're going to have to give information to your brother. And when he does it wrong, when he doesn't want to do it, you're going to know what I'm going through with you. Very interesting uh, prophecy or, or judgment against Moses here. Aaron, as we know, 
even before we get there in our study, was disagreeable. He was obstinate. He didn't obey uh, God. He was an idolater. He becomes a huge problem for Moses. He made the golden calf. He was dancing around it with all the other people naked when Moses came off the mountain. We'll get there in a, a little bit. That was Aaron, his brother. In Numbers 12, Aaron actually leads a mutiny against Moses. He's going to be a big problem for, oh, if only Moses would have listened and obeyed. Have you ever been in that place where you didn't listen to the Lord? You didn't obey his voice. And subsequently, things kind of just fell apart around you. And you learned your lesson. And, and Moses is going to learn his lesson, but he's going to go through life now with Aaron. Uh, and it's going to be very interesting for him. And then verse 17 God gives this final command as, and I'm calling it, Moses' request to return. And you shall take this rod in your hand, verse 17, with which you shall do signs. So God's giving him this badge, this authority, and it's this rod in his hand. He's going to use that to do these signs. So Moses went and returned to Jethro. By the way, there's my little graphic behind me. See the rod in his hand and the parting? We're going to see the rod. It'll be, it'll be working in his life in the coming verses here. So, uh, verse 18, Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt. Now, think about that for a moment. God just told him to go to Egypt. Did he go to Egypt? What did he do? I got to ask my father-in-law for permission. I got to go ask my father. Interesting. And then it says, and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. So Moses, he leaves the mountain, he leaves the burning bush, and he goes down to where his father-in-law was encamped. More than likely, you know, he's been there for many years now. He's got a family. He's got sons, as we'll find out. He's got several kids. And it's believed that he lived, you know, apart, maybe in the same encampment, but he had his own place, you know, like everybody wants to live independently. And so Moses, he goes to his father-in-law and he asks him if he can leave. And again, it's interesting that he asks his permission. I mean, it's respectful, obviously, but he's 80-something years old. He's got a wife and children. But then the Lord gives this encouragement to him in verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses, notice where he is, in Midian, Go return to Egypt, for all the men who sought your life are dead. So he's, he's going to encourage him. Moses still isn't ready to go. He's still fearful. He, instead of going, he, uh, Jethro, is it okay if I, if I leave? You know, I, I hope he says no. And Jethro says, oh, go in peace. Moses is like, oh, what am I going to do? He's still fearful. And so God comes to him again to encourage him. You need to return to Egypt, and here's the reason why. Pharaoh died. All the men that wanted you out of the land, they're dead. They're all gone. They're not a worry. There shouldn't be a concern for you. Then Moses took his wife. Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Again, hearing his adopted father, Pharaoh, right, was dead gave him just more encouragement. 
more assurance. So God is gracious with Moses. He's working with him. He's encouraging him. He hasn't given up on his man, even though Moses is not going to be the spokesman anymore. It's going to be Aaron. God hasn't given up on Moses, and he keeps working with him. I love the long-suffering of God demonstrated here. The point being that Moses wasn't this strong, dynamic, powerfully speaking uh, leader. He's not that. He's a chicken. He's afraid. He, he's fearful. He's not trusting the Lord. He's not obeying everything. He's obstinate with God. That's how we can identify with Moses. Amen? Sounds like me. Sounds like you. We can identify with this man. And then God warns Moses in advance, and I want to take some time and look at this verse here in verse 21, about Pharaoh's hardened heart. Verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, the Hebrew word for hardened there is interesting. It's kazak, kazak, and we translate that word into harden, and it really literally means to strengthen or to confirm or to, to make bold. So God is going to strengthen the choice that Pharaoh has made. I will harden his heart so that he will not let his people go. The question is, why does God harden Pharaoh's heart? And you really need to understand these things in order to understand this, because we're going to read this about four or five other times as we go through the book. There's times in Exodus where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. There's times where God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then there's another reference here in Exodus that his heart was hardened. So it's really interesting when you look at all these different uh, um, verses that talk about the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh. But here's, here's what you need to understand. God never Harden Pharaoh's heart against his will. God gives us free will in Old and New Testament. And God is not hardening Pharaoh's heart against his will. The thought of letting the Hebrew slaves leave is never a consideration by Pharaoh. He never wakes up one day and says, oh, great, I'll I'll do whatever you want, Moses. I'll let the people go in peace. I, I, I want them out of my land. That's never a thought that he has, never. And God did not say, you know, um, I'm just going to harden your heart because I, I want to make life hard on you. Pharaoh's heart was already determined. Pharaoh had already chosen to keep possession of a certain amount of slaves for his economy. He had already chosen to do that, and he wasn't going to let anybody turn him away. So God is going to do a work in Pharaoh, and this is part of God's work. He hardens his heart. When Scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that means that God allowed Pharaoh's heart to do what Pharaoh wanted to do. That's all it means, confirming it. Pharaoh didn't want to let his people go, so God hardened his heart. That's what that means there. God gave Pharaoh over to his sin. Now, I want to show you, this is really important, and I'm going to take you to the New Testament. Open your Bible, flip to the New Testament, to the book of Romans. Go to Romans. I just want to read a lengthy text here. I'm just going to read it instead of putting it up on the screen behind me. 
because it really explains the hardening of man's heart. This helps us understand what's going on here in Exodus. Romans chapter 1, there it is up on the screen there, just the text so you can follow along with me, beginning in verse 18, where God gave them up. Here's the, the, uh, the teaching about the hardening of hearts by God. Romans 1, 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And because they willfully, notice, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God's is manifest in them. In other words, they're made in God's image. Every man has a thumbprint of God on him. But they have determined to turn away from God. That's why there's punishment. There's punishment because they willfully, deliberately say no to God. And God in his grace has come down to save. We're seeing it in this wonderful Old Testament story, but we know it in that Jesus came and he's our deliverer, being New Testament saints. But verse 19, because what may be known of God is made known in them, and God has shown it to them. For since the creation, verse 20, of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse." You look around in nature and you see power. Couldn't have just happened. The, the order of the universe, the cycle of day and night, the, the just the right amount of heat and water to sustain life on this planet alone. Although we're looking at Mars, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking for water, ice, and all those things. God has made the, and God has made our planet so unique that you're not going to find it anywhere else. You'll never find it. I think it's great to explore, great to be an adventurer. Science is great. But God has made this unique, and we know that there's a God because of his design. Because there's a design, there must be a designer, and they know that's what Paul is saying here. Because, verse 21, although they knew God, they did not glorify or glorify him or as God, nor were thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts. In other words, they, they changed their mind. They used their own volition, and they were foolish. Their foolish hearts were darkened. There it is. Because of their willful choices, their foolish hearts are darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and changed the glory of incorruptible God into an image Again, Egypt, image, idols. This is what people always do. They need God. God put a void in your heart. You need God. And for those that say, I don't need God, they turn, and we'll see how bad they get here by their own choices, professing themselves wise. They become as fools. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up. Here it is. The hardening of the heart. God gave them up to uncleanness in less of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, create, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, here it is again, God gave them up. Why? Because they chose it. They chose it. And so God hardens their heart so that they'll see their need for God. I mean, you see people all around you. You watch these shows, and they're so horrible. It just shows the depravity of man. 
and their hearts, because of their choices, their hearts, God gave them up. God gave them up. Again, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions. For even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, men, this is homosexuality, leaving the natural use of a woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here it is again, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now, go back to Exodus chapter 4 where it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you see? Do you understand now? The hardening of the heart was confirmation or strengthening of their own choice. And in this case, Pharaoh's choice. I'm not going to let these people go. So God hardens his heart. God allowed Pharaoh's heart to do what he wanted to do. And as Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder against God, God gives him up over and over again to his own sinful desires. Why? Because then he's going to live, live the consequence of his sin. And I don't mean to belittle this, and I'm, I'm sorry if, if you have a homosexual in your family, but there's all kinds of things that happen when you disobey God. And God will give those people up. And he still loves him, and we need to love, and we need to share God with. God can change anybody. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel, and we should always share the gospel. But God gives them up to their own sinful desires. So God tells Moses in advance, what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. You're going to go to him. He's going to reject you, and I'm going to harden his heart. And we're going to go through this process of hardening his heart until finally, finally, he's going to let my people go. And this is how it happens, which is really interesting. My next point here, let my people go, verse 22 then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son. N notice he's, he's claiming the Israelites, all two million of them there in Egypt. God is claiming, he's calling them my son. He said, Israel's my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn. You see what God is doing? He's going to let... let Pharaoh have an opportunity, but he's going to tell him that there's a great consequence for you not obeying me. I'm the living God. Remember, Pharaoh has multiple gods. His whole nation is filled with gods, and even today, you can go to Egypt and walk among them. I mean, you can look, you can Google, you can read, you can see. It's everywhere in that part of the country. Ziggurats built everywhere, these worship places for these people, and they worship so many different things. So, so God says, listen, you're going to go, and this is your message. Let my people go. Let my son go, and if you don't, I'm going to kill your son. So when God says that, again, Israel is my son, my firstborn, that's how God sees his people. I love that truth. He sees his people. He's in love with his people. They're his, his own. They're my Son, my firstborn, the children of Israel are his. And God says that there's going to be an exchange that happens here. And if you don't go along with the exchange, if you don't let my people go, then your son is going to die. If you refuse, verse 23, to let him go, indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So that's really the message that Moses is going to give to Pharaoh. Again, 
God is leading Moses. He's fearful. He doesn't want to do it. So God is giving him plenty of instruction. He's giving him plenty of illustrations. He's very gently and encouraging and, you know, kind of pushing him away. This is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to say. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your mouth. I'll never leave you. Moses says, okay, you can do this. And Moses still is struggling with that whole thing. Now, all of that's the backdrop to this next startling verse. Notice Verse 24, Moses threatened by God. This is, this is unbelievable here. And it came to pass on the way at the camp or encampment that the Lord met with Moses. And notice what Moses, or notice what the Lord was, was going to do to Moses. Do you see that in your Bible there? Do you read that. Have you seen that before? That's very serious. It says there, that he met him and sought to kill him. God sought to kill Moses. Now, here's the episode as I see this unfolding. Moses has argued with God. He doesn't want to go. He's afraid. He's fearful. He's shaking in his boots. He goes and talks to Jethro after the burning bush. You know, God's fuming, and he, he probably ran from there, and he you know, it's probably Jethro, uh, please tell me I can't go, but I'm supposed to go, but I wish you'd tell me I couldn't go, but, I mean, he's afraid. He doesn't want to go. And Jethro says, you need to go. So he gets his family, and he, off they go, and they, they come to camp. I see it maybe happening at nighttime. At, he uh, comes to camp with his wife and son, and God meets him alone, just like Jacob. And he's going to have an encounter with God, just like Jacob. He's going to wrestle with God. Remember what happened to Jacob. Jacob lost. His hip was thrown out of joint, but he became Israel. God always wins. And, and he's, but, but the threat here, the threat of his life, very interesting. God meets him alone and basically shows Moses that he is much greater He's in total control and that your life is in danger if you do not obey everything that I tell you to do. And that's really what he's saying there. Very interesting here when you read this and, and see this happening to recall the things that we've already read in the book of Genesis. I love to go back to Genesis. In every book of the Bible, you can go back to Genesis and you can learn things. Genesis is the beginning. It's, if you understand Genesis, you really have a, a great understanding of the rest of the Bible. That's why I kind of moved right into this uh, book after 22 or 21 months of studying through uh, the book of Genesis. Moses, I see, is wrestling with God just like Jacob. And Mos Moses must have believed that God was super serious finally. He realizes that he needs to give God his absolute obedience. He hasn't done that yet. He's still, still fearful and disobedient. And as far as God is concerned, his prophet has to be totally in line. He has to fear God. He has to know God. He has to obey God completely. And Moses, he's still afraid. He's unsure. He wasn't fully obedient to God. And here's the interesting thing. As we move through this story, his wife knew that. His wife, Zipporah, knew 
that her husband was fearful. Her husband wasn't the best spiritual leader even. And it's Zipporah here in verse 25 who saves Moses' life. Very interesting. We're in camp. God comes to Moses during this wrestling match. The threat is, is death if he doesn't obey God. And Zipporah, his wife, steps in, verse 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are the husband of blood to me. Wow. This is one of those things where, you know, if you have a 10-year-old, say, hey, read the Bible, 10-year-old, and, you know, you're eating lunch, and they, Daddy, what's this mean? You go, whoa, okay, well, let's go to chapter 5. Let's... <laughs> One commentator that I read, uh, he's, he's a, a real, one of the 19th century guys that I really like to read. He called this the bridegroom of blood, Moses, the bridegroom of blood here. Now, I believe that Moses tells Zipporah that God's going to kill him because he's disobedient to God. He knows it. And again, I'm imagining, you know, God, God and Moses have this encounter in the camp. Moses is in the corner of the room. He's shaking. He's afraid. His brow is furrowed. His, his mouth is like, oh, I don't know what to do. You know, he, he's, he's really done. He's freaking out. And Zipporah steps in. And she does what Moses should have done all along in their home for their family. Because Moses had not circumcised his sons. Moses is a child of Abraham. He is not like the rest of the nations and the rest of the world. God's put a sign on his people. And that sign was circumcision. And that separated them as a sign from all other people. It was a covenant, and it meant something. Moses didn't teach his sons. And for some reason, Zipporah knew that. There's some obvious reasons why she would know that. Maybe they talked about it. He was an Israelite. He, he must have explained it. But then he didn't follow through. Now, maybe you could, you could suppose, well, listen, Maybe they had a relationship, and I think it was J. Vernon McGee talked about they had a relationship, and because Moses just wanted to get along with his Midian wife, she's not an Israelite, and she doesn't want her baby to be cut, and so if you cut my baby, you know, I'm going to kick you out of the house. I don't know if that happened. But here, it's Zipporah. Her name, by the way, means little bird or birdie. Zipporah, little bird. She steps in and does what Moses should have done. God required circumcision of these offspring of Moses before they went back to Egypt and for the people to be brought out of that land. This, this, Moses should have done this, but Moses neglected his responsibility. And there could be a lot of different you know, reasons, keeping peace in the marriage. Um, she wasn't an Israelite, and she didn't want some custom done to her child. You know, you could assume many different things, but whatever the reason, Zipporah, she steps in and does what Moses should have done. Took a sharp stone, verse 25, cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet, saying, surely you're the husband 
of blood to me. Now, when I read that, it sounds like she's kind of ticked off. When I read that, I just simply read through there. Sounds like she's really, why didn't you do this? You should have done this already. She's equating the threat of Moses' life with this covenant. And she, I believe rightly so. I believe she steps in and saves his life personally as I read the story. She reacts to her husband's disobedient. She's frustrated at him. So she I, I mean, again, that's how I see it, her actions. Her actions are correct. She does the right thing. And then verse 26, so she, or he, let him go. Who is he that let who go? That's God. Because of Zipporah's actions, it saved the life of Moses. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision so God spares Moses because his wife performs this circumcision, this, this act that separated this family from all other families through obedience. But again, when I read that, again, there's, there's got to be something there for us. What does it all mean? Now, Moses is writing the first five books. Moses is the writer. He's the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why would Moses include this? If I was Moses, I'd leave this part out. I wouldn't want anybody to know my big fail to God, to my family. I wouldn't want to do that at all. But this little teeny passage in this section of Scripture, I believe is the key to the whole thing because all it shows you is what we've been taught so far in these chapter 2 and 3 or chapter 3 and 4, pardon me, that Moses was a chicken. He was a disobedient. He wasn't ready. He didn't trust God. He didn't obey God. And I believe this really does confirm all of those things. It explains his resistance in obeying God and God's call for him to go into Egypt to stand before Pharaoh and demand that God's people be let go. Again, it proves that Moses was afraid and disobedient. He's forgotten what it means to be absolutely obedient to God, to have fear for Yahweh. And God, again, I believe is, is so gracious with Moses. And here's some application. Moses was educated in Egypt. Moses knew he has this personal encounter with God in a burning bush. I mean, Moses has given more information than most. And yet, with all his education and all the personal conversation with God, he fails. He fails. Makes me wonder about my walk with the Lord, your walk with the Lord. Are you really serious about your love for God, your Bible time, fellowship, obedience? Are you really serious? Because if you're like Moses... And what about his home? He wasn't leading spiritually at home. Even his Midian wife knew that he wasn't being obedient. And she has to step in and save his life. She was the one that saved her family, not Moses. Again, this passage, it, it speaks, it just screams to me about my personal walk with the Lord and how 
I need to be honest before God. I need to spend time with the Lord. I need to be obedient to his word. I need to know what it says. I hope you get that message as well. Moses' problem was a lack of faith, his unbelief, his not trusting the Lord. He didn't take the Abrahamic covenant seriously. He didn't take God's word seriously. He obeyed the part that was convenient for him and let the rest go. That's why he feared his calling. That's why he disobeyed the Lord and wouldn't go. That's why he made excuse after excuse. Truth is, God wants his children to walk by faith. He wants you and I to be obedient. And again, we can learn much from Moses in his life. And now these last verses here, verse 27 through 31, Moses and Aaron meet the elders. Notice verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. So Moses told Aaron, all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. That must have been a long conversation. Then Moses and Aaron, verse 29, went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel, and Aaron spoke. Notice, it wasn't Moses. Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. Again, God had already told Moses, that he's going to meet his brother. So they have this reunion. I don't know how far he was from Mount Sinai. It says the mountain. You know, it could, could be that same area in Midian. And he sees Aaron. And they're so happy to be reunited. And God had told him, you're going to see your brother. Again, confirming, confirming, leading and guiding Moses. He's encouraging Moses with the signs and and all these things he does before the elders. But here's the interesting thing and really wraps this story up beautifully. It's verse 31. Verse 31, really, it's the reaction of the people around Moses. Even though Moses was a blow it, even though Moses lacked faith, even though Moses, you know, God had to work, 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 work to get him to where he is. I love this. My last point, they believed and they worshiped God. Look at verse 31. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Wow. Amazing. God's grace, God's love, God's kindness, working through this man named Moses. Now, years before, who knows, 40, 50 years before, when he was in Egypt, and he tried to do it his way. Remember, he tried to do it his way. I, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to stand up for my people. Remember what, what he did? He killed an Egyptian. He tried to do it his way. He tried to offer himself at that point in time as a deliverer, but the people of Israel, the Israelites, they rejected him completely. Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Last week, they totally rejected him. And after all of his doubts and all of his fears and all of the struggles and all those things, God has brought him to a place where he's obedient and he's faithful. And the people respond to that. 
I could say a whole lot about leaders and leadership. This speaks to me so loudly and clearly. It speaks to all of us in terms of our walking with the Lord and how committed we really are and how God works through the life of those that are, that are sold out for him. And just like Moses, when you and I finally obey God, others, parents, husband, wife, family that live with us, maybe someone that works with us, others will see, and you know what they'll do? They'll do this. The people believed, and they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. Oh, Christian, that we would obey the Lord, that we would walk by faith, that we would spend time in the Word and obey every command of the Lord, not as a, as a rite or ritual or legalism, but out of love and joy and the freedom that we get by being obedient and the influence that we have in our circle of friends and our family. That's what it's all about. So they believed and so they worshiped. What a great way to end these two chapters. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. The story, Lord, has many facets. I am truly amazed by your word, and I thank you for it. I thank you for the way it challenges me and challenges us as a church. And, and individually tonight, I know that you're speaking. You're speaking to us about being obedient to your word. You're speaking to us about being faithful and bold to do what you've called us to do. You're speaking to your people, and we're listening. And our desire, Father, is to glorify the Son, to magnify Jesus Christ, to share the gospel with others so that others would believe and worship. We thank you, and we praise you for this word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen.